چهار نموت ها Welcome to Charm the Water. My name's Aaron David. I'm gonna pull up uh, Thelemapedia here, where you could easily uh, use 777 for this. However, I like Thelemapedia because it all has it just in one page. Uh, so I'm looking at the path of Ayin. This is Keyscale 26, Capricorn. Um, you know, the Hebrew letter is Ayin, I, the uh, numerical value 70. Tarot card is the devil. This is the path uh, joining Tifereth and Hod, the sun and Mercury. And uh, planetary ruler is Saturn, exalted planet is Mars. And uh, there's a lot more information, but what we're looking to and if I if I started a company and hired employees I would go come to this on each person each individual uh, I would have a file containing all of this information and I would make sure that these people are placed where I uh, believe they can excel and have the most growth according to their um, makeup and their magical power and um, if you go down here on Thelemapedia to uh, the bottom of the page magic and mysticism column uh, you will find among other things the magical formula the magical power and magical weapons so magical weapons of key scale 26 are the secret force and the lamp the magical power is the witch's sabbath so-called comma the evil eye two powers for capricorn and uh right now i mean there's a lot to say about the witch's sabbath and uh what exactly happened july 15 2016 uh, the kickoff was 10.21 p.m., I think, if I'm remembering right. Eastern Standard Time. But right now, you know, I've been looking for something on this for years. And I just by happenstance happened to pick up, uh, by happenstance happened to, Amulets and Talismans by, of all people, E.A. Wallace Budge. And I had totally forgotten I had this book. Uh, so if we turn to page 354, chapter 20, titled The Evil Eye. Now, I've looked at the Wikipedia article, and uh, it's nowhere it's near as fascinating as what Budge lays out here. So I'm just going to read the chapter and um, then comment on it. Uh, through some of my own experiences. Of all things which have driven man in all ages to invent and to use magic, the most potent is the evil eye or the evil look. And the reason for this is that the various races of men who have peopled the earth for several thousands of years were convinced that certain men and women, certain beasts and reptiles, and even apparently inanimate objects possess the power of causing by a mere glance of the eye or a look, or by a mere aspect or appearance, injury to their fellow creatures, into their flocks and herds, into their crops and orchards, and in fact to any kind of property whatsoever. I want to pause and uh, interject something here. Uh, at my first job, I worked with this guy at a grocery store, trying to remember his name. He did a lot of LSD and uh, on the job. <laughs> and one night he was, uh, 
his uh, LSD tabs were just kicking in. He was going by the frozen food section. I was walking along in front of him and he started freaking out and a pie, a pie, a specific pie among the frozen pies had terrified him upon glancing at it. I was like always, uh, you know, amused by that. Maybe a few years later, I had a similar experience with uh, a sticker. I want to say it was an alien workshop sticker of uh, Alien Head. And uh, I, I just inserted this particular state of mind, glanced at it, and I, I became terrified of it. <laughs> like, it's very hard to explain unless you have experienced something like that. I just wanted to add that in there uh, when it mentioned inanimate object. Okay, so continuing with Budge on the evil eye. This baleful look or glance of the eye has always been thought to be especially injurious to children and to women who are about to become mothers, for it threatened the very existence of the human race. Pause there, interjecting again. Of course, uh, what comes to mind is the eye of Sauron uh, from Lord of the Rings. A thing was like, it's essentially the Lord of the Rings is uh, Death Ray from the Death Star. It's essentially what uh, Sauron's wizard tower has going on for it. The eye. Um, continuing. The look which the eye cast upon some person or thing in wonder or astonishment or surprise can be made to produce an evil effect on that person or thing by means of words which the owner of the eye may utter at the same time. If the words are contemptuous or disparaging, operating in connection with the look will produce an evil effect on the person or thing which the eye is looking upon. And the same bad effect can be produced by the look or glance of the eye of a man who, while uttering words of praise or congratulation, makes a mental reservation whereby he produces the exactly opposite effect to that which his words seem to wish to make. Primitive man seems to have understood these facts quite well, though he was totally unable to describe the exact connection between the glance of the eye and the spoken words or the secretly made mental reservation. <laughs> many educated people in many parts of the world still share this belief with him and cannot explain how the eye exercises its magical power and produces sickness, calamity, and death. Uh, pausing there, um, that's definitely Saturn stuff, all Saturn stuff, curses, sickness, calamity, death, throw in Mars with that, in uh, which Capricorn is exalted. Um, give me one second. Do, 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 do. I said Capricorn exalted. I meant uh, Mars exalted in Capricorn. If I said that backwards. I'm looking at the God forms uh, on, on Thelemopedia for Capricorn. Uh, listed as Egyptian, Kim or Set, Egyptian practical Set. Hindu, the Lingam and the Yoni. Now, I find that fascinating in light of Masterwort and Motherwort. Greek, Pan, Priapus, Erect Hermes, and Bacchus. Roman, Pan, Vesta, and Bacchus. And Pan, an uh, association with, uh, if we look down here, legendary orders of beings, satyrs, fauns, and panic demons. Um, think that could go along with uh, the power that the eye, uh, what it can induce in people, uh, panic as well. But anyway, continuing along, um, certain it is in many parts of the East, if a customer runs down or speaks disparagingly or abusively of an object which a merchant wishes to, him to buy, 
that object is at once removed lest ill luck or injury come upon it. Uh, pausing here again, uh, let's take a look at the names of the mansions of the moon uh, for Capricorn. Sa'ad al-Zabi, the slaughterer's luck. Sa'ad al-Bala, glutton's luck. And Sa'ad al-Sa'ad, luck of lucks. Uh, and that will be, uh, the importance of that will be uh, become more apparent as we move on in this reading. Continuing with Budge on the evil eye. And the same is the case if it be a person or an animal that is cried down or laughed at. The person's friends will hustle him away and the owner of the beast will drag it away with him from the place. Anthropologists and others have endeavored to find out whence the eye obtains its power to inflict evil on the persons and the things which make it to wonder or surprise it. And some have concluded that the evil eye is produced by the mind itself or by some quality or power which it possesses. And some eminent and most experienced occultists have told me that the eyes are integral parts of the mind. Bacon says in his ninth essay, Of envy there be none of the affections which have been noted to fascinate or to bewitch, but love and envy. They both have vehement wishes, they frame themselves readily into imaginations and suggestions, and they come early into the eye, especially on the presence of the objects which are the points that conduce to fascination, if any such there be. We see likewise the scripture calleth envy an evil eye. Of all other affections it is the most important and continual, for it is ever working upon some or other. It is also the vilest affection and the most depraved, for the which cause it is the proper attribute of the devil, who is called the envious man that soweth tares among the wheat by night. That's from Matthew 13, verse 25. In this extract, Bacon uses the word fascination as an equivalent for the evil eye. Modern writers, as Elworthy observes, evil eye, page 2, render it by animal magnetism. The belief in its existence must be set down as representing one of the hereditary and instinctive convictions of mankind. We may then accept the view, which is based on the general experience of mankind, that envy can and does impart to the eye some quality which emanates from it and works evil upon the person or thing on which it falls. But there is something else which will produce the same effect as envy, that is to say jealousy, before which who can stand, as the book of Proverbs, chapter 27 verse 4 testifies and the song of songs uh, chapter 8 verse 6 in the words jealousy is cruel as the grave the coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a vehement flame envy jealousy and the evil eye are inseparably connected and when joined to words is the origin of the evil spirits which work sickness, disaster, ruin, and death in the world. Evil spirits and the evil eye have from time immemorial been regarded as one and the same, and it is for this reason that among many peoples, both in the East and the West, the evil eye has been regarded as a being with a form and a personality. That's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes it takes the form of an animal. Example, a goat. <laughs> or an ass. Ass being the animal of set. See, Palladius, Paradise, Volume 1, page 113. Or an Indian, Ibid, Volume 1, page 2. And in the life of Anthony, we read, 
it is very easy for the enemy to create apparitions and appearances of such a character that they shall be deemed real and actual objects. And phantoms of this kind caused a phantom earthquake, and they rent asunder the four corners of the house, and entered therein a body from all sides. One had the form of a lion, and another had the appearance of a wolf, and another was like unto a panther, and all the others were in the forms and similitudes of serpents, and of vipers, and of scorpions. Ibid, Volume 1, page 14. Uh, frequently the form chosen is feminine, as we see from Tiamat, an ancient Sumerian personification of evil, and Lilith, the night hag of the Hebrews. But the evil eye is often depicted in magical writings as an eye, but in no drawing of it do we see a representation of the little man in the eye, with which primitive man was well acquainted. In the Egyptian liturgy of funerary offerings, that's Budge, uh, page 136, the priest says to the deceased when he presents the 98th offering, Osiris, Unus, the child which is in the eye of Horus, hath been presented unto thee. The little man in the eye is mentioned in Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, Proverbs 7, verse 2, and the Arabic version translates rightly, Insan al Ain, the daughter of the eye. Bath Ayin occurs in Psalms uh, 17 verse 8 and is correctly rendered Bent Al Ayin and Benta Ayin in Arabic and Ethiopic respectively. Among some peoples, the belief is common that the little man of the eye, i.e. the figure seen in the pupil of the eye, can leave a man and enter another person and do harm to any person or thing he pleases. Others again hold the view that the evil eye has a dualistic character and that it uses one form to perform one class of evil works and the other to do things which have no evil effects. Various conclusions have been arrived at by those who have studied the why and the wherefore of the evil eye but in no part of the world is it doubted that its influence exists, and the belief in it is beyond all doubt primeval and universal. Moreover, every language, both ancient and modern, contains a word or expression which is the equivalent of evil eye. <clears throat> I think that's really fascinating. The concept is universal. The oldest mentions of the evil eye are found in the text which the Sumerians, Babylonians, and Assyrians wrote in cuneiform upon clay tablets. The Sumerian texts date from the third millennium before Christ, and they form the base of later Babylonian and Assyrian magical literature. The Assyrians were apparently unable to read easily the non-Semitic Sumerian originals, and they therefore added interlinear translations in their own Semitic tongue. The Sumerian words igihul, literally evil eye, are translated by the Assyrian words inili mutum. See R.C. Thompson, Devils and Evil Spirits, Tablet 5, Volume 2, page 113. In this text, it said, The roving evil eye hath looked on the neighborhood, and hath vanished far away, hath looked on the vicinity, and hath vanished far away, hath looked on the chamber of the land, and hath vanished far away, and hath looked on the wanderer, and like wood cut off for poles, it hath bent his neck. Against this evil eye, the great god Ea went forth, just as did the archangel Gabriel in the Christian legend published by Professor Galantz 
Book of Protection, plate facing page 18. The evil eye is represented in the form of a human skeleton with very long hair standing upright on its head. The Hebrews were well acquainted with the evil eye. Actually, uh, I got to stop right there. Just when I read that, I uh, I want to stop and go get my, my copy of the Grimorium Verum. So bear with me one second. I'll be right back. Just when I read that, it reminded me of uh, this page. It is Characters of Demons from Le Dragon Rouge. Again, this is Grimorium Verum, edited and translated by Joseph H. Peterson. <clears throat> and if you're watching the video, look at the top figure. The head with hair. There's another similar figure. In Lucifuge and Lucifer. Also, Astaroth could be said to be pictured with some, some hair on the head. But Lucifuge and Lucifer would be the most obvious. Now, if you remember me talking a, a few episodes about Jake Stratton Kent's pandemonium and... Um, Following Lucifer to Lucifuge, Leonard, all the associations there seem to be uh, pointing to the, the same figure. So anyway, uh, having said that, continuing. The Hebrews were well acquainted with the evil eye and its dire effects, but it is not mentioned in the Old Testament, although it is clearly referred to uh, in such passages as Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 9, and Psalms, again, I have no idea what C is, maybe a hundred, I don't know. Uh, Psalms CXLI. If it's above an X, I just don't know. Uh, verse 4. In the other hand, we have, eat not the bread of him that is evil of I, Ra'ayin. Neither crave thou his dainty meats. Proverbs 23, verse 6. Still more direct allusions to the evil eye are found in the wisdom of Solomon. For the bewitching of naughtiness doth obscure things that are honest. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And in Ecclesiasticus uh, 14, verse 8, where the Greek has... I'm not even trying to read that. Our Lord seems to refer to the evil eye in Mark 7, 22 and in Matthew uh, 20, 15, when he speaks of, again, I'm not trying to read that, uh, and St. Paul most certainly does when he says to the Galatians in 3, 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched, who hath bewitched you? An interesting account of the views of the later Hebrews concerning the evil eye will be found in the Jewish Encyclopedia, volume 5, page 280. Uh, Kelly has a little hamsa. It's a hand. I believe it has an eye in the center. And this is um, uh, protection against the... Uh, I was doing the Spock thing inadvertently. Uh, live long and prosper, my friends. Uh, anyway... Continuing on, the Arabs have believed in the influence of the evil eye in all periods of their history, and one of their commonest names for it is the Eye of Envy, Ain al-Hasad. Curiously enough, they sometimes call it being afraid of incurring its evil effects 
Ain al-Jamal, i.e. the beautiful eye. Muhammad the prophet was a firm believer in the evil eye, and Asma bint Umayyas states that when she asked him if she might use spells on behalf of the family of Jafar, he replied, yes, for if there were anything in the world which would overcome fate, it would be an evil eye. Uh, and surah of the Quran is often written on scrolls or cut on agate, agates. My nose is itching and carried as protection against the evil eye. No prudent caravan leader will set out on a journey unless every beast has attached to it a blue bead or some amulet to protect it from the evil eye. And usually every man of the caravan carries an amulet, either secreted in his clothes or turban or attached to his body. How far exactly the ancient Egyptians believed in the influence of the evil eye cannot be said at the present time. Uh, to think that they were ignorant of the belief in it which was current among the nations round about them is impossible. The original inhabitants of the, inhabitants of the Valley of the Nile probably feared the evil eye as much as the Sudani peoples did, but it seems to present, writer, present the present writer unlikely that the worshippers of Horus, the Eilder, and Ra paid much heed to it. The sun and the moon were the eyes of Herur, the primeval sky god of the Egyptians, the sun ruling the day and the moon the night. No evil person or thing could resist the power of the two eyes or exist where it was. Throughout the dynastic period, the two eyes, Ujati, were painted or cut upon coffins and sarcophagi, sarcophagi? and other articles of funerary equipment <clears throat> and they were painted on the bows of boats. Besides this, we have thousands of amulets of the eye and of the sun and the eye of the moon, which are to be seen in our museum to prove that from the fifth dynasty onwards, the cult of the sun god was predominant among the upper classes of Egypt. The use of the Ujat amulet seems to have been universal, and this may have been the case because the belief in the influence of the evil eye was also universal, and because the Egyptians set the influence of the eye of the sun god against that of the evil eye. The curious fact is, if this be so, why there is so little mention of the evil eye, or what is supposed to be the evil eye, in ancient Egyptian literature. It is quite clear that Irit Bant, uh, means the evil eye and is equally clear from the text on the wall of a chamber in the temple of Edfu that book of spells which were intended to destroy its books of spells which were intended to destroy its existence were recited in the temple. Finally, the word sihu seems undoubtedly to mean fascination or the influence of the evil eye. That the Copts or the Christian Egyptians believed in the evil eye, there is no doubt, for there are many allusions in the text to those who possess it and to those who make use of it. The word, that would be Capricorns. <laughs> the word actually used is boon or bone. And the professional magician who works evil by it is referred to in Coptic version of Deut Deuteronomy uh, 15, 18, verse 10, see also Spiegelberg, Kopt, Henvorterbuch, I'm not even trying that, man. Page 17, Henvorterbuch, Buch, Buch, I don't know. The Ethiopians, Ethiopians, or Abyssinians, have always held the evil eye, which they call Ayanat in great fear, and their amulets are filled with pictures of the eye of the persons of the Trinity, which they expect to protect them from its influence. According to a legend, our Lord and his disciples, when walking by the Sea of Tiberias, saw the figure of an old woman sitting on a filthy seat. 
Her appearance was frightful and terrifying. Her eyes glittered like gold. And this is an interesting uh, point here. Her eyes glittered like gold, and her hands and her feet were like wheels, and flames of fire, 68 cubits long, went forth from her mouth. The disciples said, What is this thing, O Lord? And our Lord said unto them, This is the eye of the earth, evil and accursed. When its glance falls upon a ship sailing on the sea, that ship sinks suddenly. When it pursues a horse, it casts down that horse and its rider. When it looks upon a cow that is being milked, it curdles the milk which turns into blood. When it looks upon a woman with her child, it separates them and destroys them. And the disciples took this eye of earth, evil and accursed, and burnt her body in the fire and scattered the ashes to the winds, east, west, south, and north, so that the memorial of her might may be blotted out from the earth. One form of the legend says that Christ uttered the two words, Asperipsis, Ascoraxis, and that it was they that slew Anyat. After the, that, the burning of her body was a simple matter. That's Budge, History of Ethiopia, Volume 2, page 592. The Greeks believed in the existence of the evil eye, and their word for it was Baskanos, and the amulet to be used against it is Probaskanian. Probaskanian. All the ancient authorities see from Mond in Valletta, Potter, and others say that the Latin word fascinatio is derived from Baskanos. This also is the view of the late Bishop Lightfoot, Epistle to the Galatians, page 133. Among the Greek writers who have discussed and attempted to explain the evil eye may be mentioned Heliodorus, who flourished early in the third century after Christ and says, when one looks at what is excellent with an envious eye, he fills the surrounding atmosphere with a pernicious quality and tremits his own envenomed exultations and whatever is nearest to him. The belief in the evil eye has existed in every country of Europe and still exists. In Germany, it is called Ubel Ogenos Boseblick. In Holland, Buseblick. In Poland, Zitioko. In Italy, Oculi Maligni. Malocchio and Jetatura, in Sardinia, Ogu, Malu, and Corsica, Inocchiatura, in Spain, Maldeojo, in France, Mavoya, I don't know. Norway, I'm not, I don't know that one either. Continuing on to Denmark, England, Ireland, Scotland, Syria, Persia, Armenia, and in the Vedas, Goram Kaksa in Hungary, China, uh, it just goes on and on. Belief in the evil eye is common in Siam, Burma, Tibet, Korea, Malay, Malacca, Sumatra, Tahiti, Samoa, Greenland, Alaska, Nicaragua, Mexico, British Giovanni, yeah, Brazil, Peru. Uh, the lands of the Bantu peoples and the Bushmen and Pygmies, parts of Australia and New Guinea. The facts given in the last paragraph are derived from Die Zauberkraft des Augs, Hamburg 1922, by Dr. Seligman. This learned authority shows that the peoples who have no special word for the evil eye make use of a number of words which convey the idea of fascination and thus show that they were and still are well acquainted with the baleful operations of the evil eye. <clears throat> in all ages, man has believed that certain of his fellow creatures possess the evil eye. Hello! <laughs> and as he made his gods in his own image, he attributed to them 
and to supernatural beings of all classes the power to work evil upon him and his works by their looks whenever their envy or jealousy was aroused. Among all the early races of mankind, the view that envy and jealousy and the evil eye were one and the same thing. Concerning the Hebrew god YHWH, we read, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. Deuteronomy 32, verse 16, 1 Kings 14, 22. And when David and his bride took a census of his people, YHWH sent a plague which destroyed 70,000 of the 1,300,000 men of Israel and Judah. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Now, uh, here's where we come. We're nearing the end of Budge's writing on the evil eye, and we're coming up onto what I find, well, the most fascinating. In Egyptian, we find that the eye of Horus, which gave life to Osiris, is called slaughterer of the enemies of Horus. Going back to uh, Mansions of the Moon for Capricorn and Sa'ad al-Zabi, the slaughterer's luck. Uh, and Plutarch tells us that Isis killed the son of the king Byblos by a glance of her eye, and several of the 42 assessors in the Hall of Judgment of Osiris had names which show that they could kill with their eyes in the fire which came from them. Example, Ariti Ephemtis, eyes like flint knives, and Heptishi, embracer of fire. This, this is incredibly fascinating. And it has been generally assumed throughout the world that every kind of evil spirit possesses the evil eye. Certain passages in the Bible suggest that some of the men described therein were believed to possess the evil eye. Thus, in the case of Saul, we read, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it is possible, impossible to think that the king looked upon the younger war, warrior with kindly feelings. And though Balaam exclaimed, How goodly are thy texts, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, it is tolerably clear that the words did not express his inner feelings. Coming down to our own times, Dr. Seligman mentions a number of distinguished men who were credited with the possession of the evil eye. The most famous and most feared, Jedator, Jedatori, Jedator in Rome, was His Holiness Pope Pius IX, who died in 1878. Uh, the aged Pope Leo XIII was held to be a Jedator, Jedatore because of the great number of the cardinals who died during his pontificate. The Italians always believed Lord Byron and the Kaiser William II to be endowed with the evil eye, and the same view has been held concerning Napoleon III. So um, this is all very fascinating, very, very fascinating. And uh, from here, to explore this further, uh, this is Growing the Tree Within by William G. Gray. Now, what part of what the Golden Dawn did with the Tree of Life is to allow the exploration of these uh, ancient categories that emerged uh, I don't know why William G's Gray's paths are not the same numbers. Uh, so I know the path of Ayin is the 26th path. For some reason, he's listing it as the 23rd path. And this is the problem with trying to nail things, nail experiences on the tree 
exactly, nail them down. They, they, they don't work exactly. Uh, but you can see with these systems like the Golden Dawn and AA and et cetera and so forth, like with the, the Taoist um, trigrams and hexagrams, you can see that mapped out, they're pointing to things that make a lot of sense, that line up and that have confluence with these notions, these concepts. Uh, these things seem to point to something archetypal. Um, so uh, with the devil, where it's placed within Golden Dawn and uh, um, AA stuff, again, it is uh, shown as the path between Hode, Mercury, and Tifereth, the sun. So we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, I don't, I don't really want to read all of this. It's, it's longer than what I just read, but I do think there are some important aspects. So we may, we're already 40 minutes in. I can't believe that took 40 minutes. So actually, I think I'll save this for uh, next time. And in between then and now, well, I'll say that uh, William G. Gray mentions uh, the Beni Elohim and the Seraphim. And of course, Uncle, the figure that I have encountered in my vision stuff called Uncle, uh, there's something very particular about him. And it was not only seen by me in my dream initiations not only seen by me i associate him to aries deccan one and to the fiery seraphim the fiery serpents of god and uh also he seems like a warlord um he looks like he could have been a general for uh <clears throat> i was gonna say nosferatu who is the man we just uh Napoleon, not Nosferatu. <laughs> Either one, really. Uh, he's very intimidating and very military-type figure and just radiates power. And um, his eyes sometimes burn with fire, with flame. Not only have I seen that, uh, but my wife's friend came to town and uh, her partner named Simon uh, claimed to be psychic. So I gave him this ring. I took this ring on, off, which is a, it was my father's and uh, it is a uh, bloodstone in gold and bloodstone I believe very much has to do with Aries Deccan 1 and uh, I took it off my my hand and I placed it in Simon's palm over we were having lunch or dinner or something at a restaurant and I totally stole the the conversation of Kelly meeting up with her childhood friend this totally <laughs> this totally like uh, uh, took over the conversation Simon closed the ring in his hand closed his eyes and a few seconds later very quickly handed me back the ring and looked disturbed looked disturbed genuinely disturbed and he had had an experience and he just for the rest of our time at the restaurant couldn't shake it off he was just like went over and over what he saw like he was shook <laughs> what he saw was what i i know as uncle um he described lacy cuffs of the shirt, frilly. Uh, he described him as, I think, in a mirror or perhaps a portrait. Um, and he described his eyes being of flame. And he said at the same time that he saw this figure, uh, he heard, that's his ring, give it back.
which he probably did. And um, I associate that figure, Uncle, to the Order of Fiery Seraphim. And um, together with the Bini Elohim, or Benai Elohim, um, they have very much to do with the path which is represented as being between Hod and Tifereth. And what those symbolize with the Golden Dawn, a lot of people don't like the Golden Dawn and stuff because they believe they've psychologized all of this and made it a, um, you know, these path workings of uh, active imagination and stuff. What it is, is a systematized um, method of scrying. That's how I see it. And why I'm interested is because I've had enough of my own experiences to see that they're on to something. Uh, they've, they're, they've connected things up in a way that make a lot of sense. I also see this with uh, a lot of uh, feng shui type Taoist uh, compass stuff relating to a lot of sense, the same things the uh, Western esoteric tradition does in directions, seasons, and um, you know, star stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, <clears throat> let me try and remember what book I just read this in. I believe it was the beginning of William Gray's. It's very early on in the book. He's just going over some things. He said, if numbers help us realize spiritual realities, letters can help us find different relationships between them. Sometimes this alphabetically arranged code, even in English, can be surprising. Take, for example, attribution, which symbolizes the nature of God. It works out as G, wise mercy. O, or a U, truth. O, sound. D, absolute beauty. How much better can our ideas of good and God be than that? Now try the opposite, evil or devil. D, high beauty. E, the power of air. V, glory and conquest. I, the power of fire. L, severity or mercy. A rather accurate description, really. Mythically, our devil was described before his fall as the most beautiful of all the archangels. He is called a prince in the powers of the air. His downfall was supposedly due to glory and conquest because of pride, and he is usually associated with fire. Lastly, unless divine mercy spared us the worst of life, the devil would make things very severe for us. God and the devil are words personifying principles of good and evil as the best or worst that life might hold for us humans. And uh, he goes on and so forth and so on. Uh, my first initiation, very first one on July 15th, 2016, uh, was initiation in the sphere of Netzach via Trithemius. The sphere of Netzach is the sphere of Venus. And uh, the element therein associated is fire. And so I hope that this, uh, this has brought into focus a bit more of what uh, is going into Oculus Anubis and uh, what our goals will be as a magical current. Uh, if if I can't make it uh, any clearer, let me move to Thelemopedia, to the path of Resh. Resh. Uh, this is key scale 30. Resh head, value of Hebrew letter 200. This path joins Hod and Yesod. Uh, Tarot Atu is the sun. 
<clears throat> Planetary spirits, Sorath. Uh, Egyptian, Ra. Hindu, Agni, Yama. Uh, Scandinavian, Freyr. Greek, Helios. Roman, Apollo. Um, animals, Lion. Sparrow, Hawk, Leopard. Uh, moving on down, moving on down. Metals, gold. Uh, the magical weapons, the laman or bow and arrow, the magical formula, Iao, Enri, magical power, the red tincture, power of acquiring wealth, literally resh. Hope that helps uh, in understanding what I'm uh, what I'm trying to do here and what's coming together. And it's not even me trying to do it. I'm sort of the blind man wandering around uh, trying to enact. <laughs> I'm like a uh, Lovecraftian figure, you know, <clears throat> a rotting corpse going about doing the work of the cosmic horrors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, until next time, my, my voice is going out. This heat, this heat, this dryness is just killing my sinuses. Until next time. <laughs>